0: It's time for security now. Did you know? Did you know that those Facebook-like widgets, the other share social share widgets are actually revealing your identity to anybody who's on the same network? This is a problem, but Steve explains how to fix it in a very simple explanation coming up along with all the security news next on security now. Netcasts you love
1: from people you trust.
0: This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for security now is provided by the new Winamp for Android. Featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com android. Video bandwidth for security now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 386, recorded January 9th, 2013. Disconnect widget jacking. It's time for Security Now, the show that uh, does its best to protect you online. It's a never-ending struggle. Fortunately, the explainer-in-chief is here, Steve Gibson, the man behind Security Now. I met so many people at the New Media Expo and at CES, Steve, who said, Tell Steve, hi, we listen religiously. And it's usually the high-end geeks. Hmm. They want to know more. You can never cool. get too much security, or too much geekness, or too much good information, and they love how geeky we get on this show.
1: Well, we've got more today. Um, there's a we're, we're gonna there's a whole bunch of interesting stuff that happened this week. We will catch everyone up on, and um, something happened in November with an interesting project that I've had my eye on, mm. which achieved critical mass and so um i'm going to discuss it if later but first talk about the the problem that has been growing known as widget jacking Uh which people have not (laughs) been talking about this is this is essentially it's it's related to this the so-called side jacking which is what fire sheep was doing yeah um, then this involves leveraging the lack of security of social widgets. Both there, there's a privacy aspect and there's a – but there's a serious security aspect to it. Um, and the good news is we'll, – so anyway, we're going to explore it and uh, explain it and everyone will understand it. And the good news is there's a solution for it. Excellent. So, yeah. But before we go, you need to type – that first URL.
0: Okay. You don't want to say machine. it out loud because obviously we're Correct. afraid it will bring the site down Correct. as you are wanting Although to Although
1: I tweeted it last night, and I've never had so many responses, I think, to anything. Wow. It is beyond cool. Now watch it. And it, it took me a while to, to get what it was doing. Um. I I created a memorizable bit.ly shortcut, bit.ly slash factorizer, F-A-C-T-O-R-I-Z-E-R. So again, that's HTTP colon slash slash bit.ly slash factorizer, F-A-C-T-O-R-I-Z-E-R. It is just, it is spectacular.
0: So it, is, it, so. it just looks like things are doubling here. What, well, it's no. Look in the upper left. It's incrementing. Oh, it's okay. It's incrementing. So it's okay. So it's incrementing one by one. It's like dots. It's dots on a dice, kind of, sort of. Well, but keep watching
1: because mm-hmm. you'll begin to sense what it's doing. Um, primes that cannot be factored show. Oh, as a as, circle. I see. As a circle. I see. Because there's no way to subdivide them.
0: So what you're doing but, is you're going through the numbers one by one of dots and factoring them into their groups. factors. Fours, yes, twos, threes.
1: And and also then threes of fours of sevens and right. sevens of, I mean, so all of the, all of the, you know, it basically does a complete factorization of each number and animates it yeah. and i, I'm I have speed a speed it up
0: because i've got it on slow play there's a fast forward that's a little bit faster maybe we'll just keep that running for a while how far does it go
1: um somebody <laughs> said it goes to ten thousand. Uh-huh. it's which, very cool <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just mesmerizing yeah i just i thought it was yeah i don't know of course it applies to to what we're doing
0: too and it, and i do like it that it's html5 so and yes I'm sure you
1: like it's that. uh it's code running in the browser yeah. and in fact Firefox 18, which was released yesterday and which we'll be talking about, runs at 25% faster.
0: Oh, well, I'll uh, have to download it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you have to give that a try. How funny. This is the fastest anyway. I could do it on Safari. Let's see how fast a Firefox will do it. All right. Yeah, have fun. beautiful. Yeah.
1: So the, the big security goof um, is one of those that is really painful because it is incredibly widespread incredibly old that is to say 6 years old which is you know in this time scale it's infinitely old a 6 year old flaw was just found in all versions of ruby on rails uh, from version 2.0 oh, on oh no so and this is bad um, uh, a secure a security Uh, focused Rails contributor Aaron Patterson posted in a Google Groups thread, quote, the parameter parsing code of Ruby on Rails allows applications to automatically cast values from strings to certain data types. Unfortunately, the typecasting code supported certain conversions which were not suitable for performing on user-provided data. Including creating symbols and parsing YAML—that's you know Y A M L—and that's one of those recursive acronyms. YAML ain't markup language. Anyway, it says he continuing. He says these unsuitable conversions can be used by an attacker to compromise a Rails application. So, Um, as always,
0: sanitize your inputs, baby.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and the problem is this because this. This use of user provided data wasn't expected. Yeah. You were probably not sanitizing for it right. because you wouldn't think there was any problem. Um, he said an uh, XML parameter parsing flaw, uh, which was first introduced in version 2.0 six years ago. That is, there's the you know the um, the GitHub commit for that is six years ago, allows an attacker to bypass authentication systems inject arbitrary SQL code, inject and execute arbitrary code, or perform a DOS attack on a Rails application. So um, in the rubyonrails.org web blog uh, for one 2013 which was yesterday, uh, the updates were announced. Uh, the guy posted, Hi, everybody, I'd like to announce that and then the current version numbers like 3.2.11, 3.1.10, 3.0.19, and 2.3.15. So, those are the latest versions of the various subversions 3.2, 3.1, 3.0, and 2.3 have been released. These releases contain two extremely critical security fixes. So, please update immediately. He had in all caps. Oh, boy. And. Patterson suggested if for whatever reason, for any reason you cannot update, uh, disable XML parsing completely or remove support within the parser for symbols and YAML because those are the two weaknesses that that he found. So I wanted to immediately let I mean I'm presumably anybody hopefully who's who's maintaining rails based systems, will be on a mailing list and will already know this, but this is fresh. And, of course, the, uh, the hackers, the, the malicious guys are going to be on this fast because, I mean, so many sites, um, as we've discussed many times in the past, are, are now running on Ruby on Rails.
0: Yeah, I love Ruby on Rails, and, uh, yep. and Ruby is wonderful. So it's Ruby, though, not Ruby on Rails that has the problem.
1: Uh, what's the distinction well he's a rails contributor right um so so i don't know where you divide this oh well rails is a
0: framework ruby is the language
1: calling it a rails application
0: yeah okay so it's a rails issue then that's actually better than if it were a ruby issue because ruby's it's not
1: it's not language intrinsic it's uh, you know it's 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 packages
0: on top yeah Yeah. and we've seen actually we've seen problems with framework before so that's okay okay good Good so also in the news by the way let's uh, just check in real quickly we're up to one thousand uh-huh. three hundred and five. Uh, that's Safari. This is Firefox catching up. <laughs> it, is, it is appreciably faster. <laughs> oh, and you and you got Firefox eighteen. Yeah, this eighteen. Nice. so Safari, okay. Firefox. yeah, I would say I mean, you know twenty five percent is not as not as huge no as it it's might not sound, it's
1: but. not times right no. now. Yeah. Um, there was a bunch of news also actually, this was late. this was just after our podcast last week that uh, Chrome detected a phony Google certificate in the wild. Um, And that really upset everybody because here we're back to a trusted in the root certificate authority. This was Turk trust, a Turkish CA, which it, when they started doing the research, this was not malicious. This was not a break in or a compromise of their system, but It's also a little disturbing because two years ago, they inadvertently issued one of their customers a pair of intermediate certificates rather than an end SSL cert. So, Ah. yeah. So what that means is, of course, an endpoint SSL cert is signed by the CA and... All you can do is assert your own identity with it. If you ever get an intermediate certificate authority, you are a certificate authority that has been signed by the root certificate authority. So for two years, this entity that received these two, inadvertently received these two intermediate CAs, and of course, we're having to take all this on trust, you know, that this wasn't Some back, you know, secret, dark uh, entity of the Turkish government that got an intermediate CA from Turk Trust, you know, and so forth. So if we take this on face, what we do know is that for two years, (laughs) there has been an intermediate (laughs) CA that could issue trusted certificates for any domain it chose. That's wild. I know. Two years. yeah, so this is the, this is the, the as we've discussed the Achilles heel of our entire SSL trust system. Somewhere in any system, there has to be an anchor of trust, and so that's where you're going to be weakest. And all our longtime listeners will probably well remember that podcast. It was maybe what five or six years ago, where I had happened. To check in to look at the at the uh, at the block of trusted CAs in whatever browser it was. I don't remember because you know I'm old school. And once upon a time there was five. You know, <laughs> it was Verisign and Equifax, and you know there. I mean, it was like a handful. Yeah. And it was. I looked at it and it was eight hundred. And of course, that's where the famous Hong Kong post office came from was like wait a minute what are they doing signing you know certificates that i trust but anyway uh so immediately google updated chrome to to remove trust from those those that that one certificate that was known to be a problem uh immediately informed turk trust that something was wrong and please find out what and inform the other browser vendors that there was a a malicious intermediate CA in the wild. Um so now that we're all we're all okay now. Um, any you know that intermediate CA and anything it might have ever signed that has also been never you know that has also been trusted but never ne- never warranted our trust are all. You know they're they're dead now. So no, none of our browsers will use them, and this happened last week. But uh, you know that's the story behind that for people who sent me notes and tweets saying, uh oh, what does this mean?" Yeah. So we're okay, but again, it's like, "Oops, a little glitch in the in the system." Also, um, yesterday was Microsoft's Patch Tuesday, and it's another important set of patches. Unfortunately and and we'll remember that last week we wondered whether Microsoft would have time to fix the zero day flaw which had just been i think it was the prior weekend found in the wild remember that it was being used for targeted attacks on IE6 but it's also known to affect 7 and 8 not 9 and 10 so if you're on a if you need to use IE first cuz it's funny whenever i tweet anything about IE I get back the the predictable well who's using IE it's like yeah I know I know but I also get lots of people saying hey I have no choice my my company makes me my bank makes me my whatever it is you know makes me so there are and I mean I have it um because you know I use for, for Windows Update and there are some things where it still has to be around and it's around by default of course in a Windows environment so um it was not fixed yesterday. So, uh, and Brian uh, Krebs reported that it has, as we also predicted last week, now been added to the Metasploit framework. So, it is trivial for script kiddie level malicious hackers to go starting to exploit this. So, we can expect to see it. Um, It's its use expanding in the wild because now the hackers think, well, we may we may have a month before the next patch Tuesday. Uh, Of course, if it goes really crazy, Microsoft may be induced to um, issue uh, an out of cycle patch. Now, part two of this is that almost immediately after Microsoft's fix it tool was was put out and we talked about it last week. It was discovered that there was a way around it, so even Microsoft's fix it tool is only a, is only partially effective against this exploit so um the, so that's really the only advice I have is more than you might have already been avoiding the use of i e six seven and eight if that's your if six seven and eight are what you're using, try to minimize your use of it or no, I would say go to really trustworthy sites. The problem is it's not the sites that are going to be malicious, but in the attacks we've seen, remember we were we were des- we were de- describing them as water watering hole sites because the way these attacks were working is that not secure, not sufficiently secure sites were being modified to to attack their visitors, and so it was a sort of a the idea was being that that the actual targets of the attack, the the companies that the the attackers wanted to get into would go to this so-called watering hole site, get themselves infected there, give the attackers the access they want, and be compromised as a result. So uh, we don't have any fix for this, not one that apparently works. And being in, in being having dropped being been dropped into the metasploit, framework means that it's completely understood it the the hackers know how to exploit it it's now in the open source mode where anyone can get at it and we have no fix for it so you know it's about as bad as it gets and it's of course being actively exploited in the wild aside from that unhappy news uh microsoft this tuesday uh issued seven patches um two of which were critical and addressed it's like twelve or thirteen security problems. One of those only affects Windows Seven and Server two thousand eight Release two only. So rather narrow. But the other one is is a an, another XML Core Services problem. We've seen those before. This that affects everything Microsoft has ever touched. Even something I've never heard of. I was looking down through the list of stuff, and I thought, what? is the Groove Server 2007. Does anyone even know? <laughs> that sounds Groove. like
0: a Microsoft code name. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's the official name. It's like no, in no, their it, list. No, it would
0: be, yeah, but I mean, it would be what they called it. Maybe not what yeah. they
1: Yeah. Oh, I see. And, and, it, and they decided not to change the name when they Right. Well, <laughs> they put it out. Does it is. sound
0: like Microsoft Groove? Groove oh, products? I, 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 let me see. I don't see anything. What is Microsoft Groove? Groove yes. Server
1: 2007. It's something
0: Ray Ozzy did. It's part of Office, and a wow. number of our people in the, the chat room use it. <laughs> well, folks, update your
1: XML core <laughs> services immediately.
0: Microsoft Office Groove 2007 creates dynamic workspaces to hold all digital information related to any task. So it's like a, it's a, you know Ray Ozzie did it. It's a Just uh, collaboration drop data space. Data in the groove. I yeah, guess. yeah.
1: Yeah, they already use suitcase. They can't use that again. So.
0: <laughs> it does sound like a Microsoft name, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> an old then, Microsoft name. Got uh, oh god. And the and the other thing was an important update to the .NET framework and a few other things. So anyway, you know, update your Windows and uh, and don't use IE.
0: They call it. She- I think it's called it SharePoint now, but. Uh, uh, oh, okay. Well, it was part of SharePoint. I, I I went to the Groove page and it brought me to the SharePoint page. So because
1: SharePoint is strictly cloud based, right? Yes. Yes.
0: As would Groove be.
1: Oh, I see. You went to Groove and it bounced you to SharePoint. Yeah. Ah, okay. But back in 2007, we still called it Groove. (laughs) We had Groove, (laughs) and it was groovy. So speaking of same old, same old, we have Adobe, who simultaneously issued security fixes for all of their things also. Acrobat, Reader, and the Flash Player plug-in. And I write my notes here. I just put blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Which is to say, just go and update yourself. Ditto. Ditto, ditto, ditto. (laughs) Yeah. And big news Yahoo Mail finally gets HTTPS. Oh, finally. Yes. Uh, and they've had, they've continued to have break-in problems. Um, I've saw, I've seen some notes about people getting spam from Yahoo Mail. People, and I got some myself yeah, it's notorious. yesterday. Yeah,
0: fr- yeah,
1: from like a week ago. I mean, from years ago. Somebody who had an old email address yeah. of mine that I kind of monitor, sort of for this purpose. And it's like, oh, look at that, something coming in here. Oh, anyway. Um, so what that means is that if you sign into Yahoo Mail with your ID and password. Hover over the settings icon, and from the drop-down menu, which you'll get, select Mail Options. Scroll down to the bottom of that page, and then under Advanced Settings, select the checkbox op- opposite to Turn On SSL. Uh, then a dialog will be shown, to, uh, and a refresh is required to change the setting. Click OK, and then click on the Save button. So they're, not, they're, they're a long way away from On by default. But at least they do allow you to maintain persistent security. And boy, you know, in this day and age, it's amazing that this is so late in coming. When when we know now that if you only are secure during logon, and then you're in an uh, like in Starbucks or any other open Wi-Fi hotspot, you know, an airport or or anything, then then all of your non-secure Transactions, which is everything subsequent, will be in the clear, which means the cookie, which you were given in order to establish your session at Logon, is there, and you can be hijacked. So it's not surprising Yahoo is having these problems. This is how hijacking happens, exactly like this. So Lord knows why it took them so long to, to make it happen, and they really need... Unfortunately, you know, it being buried like that, who's going to find it? So our listeners will. So and if you, if you get email from anybody who's got Yahoo listeners, um, you know, drop them a note and say, go find out, go to advanced settings and turn on SSL. It's, it's not going to break anything anywhere because, you know, we know how we can all do SSL now.
0: This is, you know, I remember when you, you discovered Fire Sheep, which was a hack that allowed you to do this kind of thing in an open Wi-Fi access spot, and you celebrated it. Because this, you said this will force everybody how many years ago was this two or three years this will force yeah. everybody to do HTTPS uh, all the time and it's taken and the responsible
1: that, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the responsible people did and Facebook, the irresponsible yeah, people Gmail, yes exactly
0: yeah, yeah. well now Yahoo join the club.
1: So Firefox 18 um, no huge security or functionality changes. Uh, the Iron Monkey. <laughs> Don't use that as your password, folks. Uh, the new Iron Monkey is their JIT, their just in time JavaScript compiler, which delivers 25% increased performance over the already very fast JavaScript technology they had before. Iron Monkey is able to optimize more than their prior compiler technology because it compiles the JavaScript into an intermediate language that is designed for, for machine-driven optimization. It then applies lots of machine-driven optimization strategies to this intermediate language. Then, it, and only then, it translates that into assembly language in order to execute at maximum speed on the system. So it's a two-stage process with an it, with that intermediate st- step in the sandwich really being responsible for for very clever optimizations. And as a consequence, I mean I'm I'm excited because we're really seeing JavaScript, you know, I mean you know what a mixed blessing I feel it is because it's so prone to abuse, thus the reason I run with it disabled all the time, except for sites I trust. But, boy, I mean, this is – it's really clear that that we're – that the browser is the platform, the application platform of the future. Speaking of which, one of the things also newly supported at the preliminary level is something called WebRTC. This is in Firefox 18. RTC stands for Real-Time Communications, it is a the WebRTC is a forthcoming HTML5 generation W3C and IETF standard to support real-time internet communications phone calls video chatting sharing peer-to-peer file sharing so the so again here's another example of due to the the standards moving forward and the The power that we're developing in our browsers, we're talking about moving what is currently standalone apps or plugins into the HTML, you know, into the web standard. So our browsers won't need Skype to be, you know, downloaded and installed or Google Talk or anything. They'll have it natively in the same way, for example, that they now can play video Without needing a Flash plug-in or 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 anything else in order to play video, because the browsers are able to do that on the fly. And speaking of which, Google has donated their VP8 video codec to the WebRTC effort. Um, th- this is the one that they got from on two on two. That's right, um, and uh, and are claiming that it is it is unique in that it is license free. There are some people who aren't quite sure that that's the case. Yeah,
0: including the H.264 consortium, (laughs) who doesn't want it to be
1: license-free. Exactly. (laughs) And, in fact, there is pressure for H.264 support um, in this same standard, in this WebRTC standard. Uh, But the the resistance, of course, from people like the Mozilla Foundation is they don't want to put – license encumbered technologies in the browser, that they're just fundamentally against that. So, uh, you know, so I think we'll probably always be in a position where we are, where, you know, there are a couple different video standards in the same way that we have, you know, JPEG, ping, and, and, and GIF image files. I mean, you know, those are established. They're not going to go away. The, so there isn't just one way to show a picture. There's a few ways. And there won't be one way to play a video. There'll be, you know, a couple, depending on what platform you're on. Um, Also with Firefox 18, we have full retina display support on the new Macs with the retina screen, which prior Firefoxes did not support. So that's here for like super crisp retina font rendering and so forth. Um, And over on the Android side, uh, Firefox 18 adds support for uh, on-the-fly search suggestions in their their so-called awesome bar. Uh, and those search suggestions are transacted over secure channel, even if you're not, uh, so that no one can see what's going on. And there is a malicious site warning system built in for Android, which uh, is certainly handy to have. Um, and uh, I promised that I would take a look a couple of weeks ago at what extended security meant for universal plug and play. Remember that I saw... I think it was a couple tweets, said, hey, well, what about the extended security? Well, (laughs) uh, it's completely useless. Oh, dear. Uh, First of all, it's not widely available. I I could only see really that that Thompson uh, was using it in some of their routers. Um, And all it does is lock down some ridiculously wrong things that universal plug-and-play should have never been allowed to do in the first place, but it provides virtually no security. So no malware would be at all slowed down if you had extended security turned on. And I, I, I'm, I didn't even write down and, and bother enumerating it because I just thought I would tell everyone, uh, you know, <laughs> don't
0: oh, don't that worry that about it. Yeah, don't <laughs> plenty, worry. It's not going to help. Plenty of holes and, left.
1: <laughs> and apparently, it even does mess things up. Does I mean, despite oh, no. doing. Nothing for you. I ran across a lot of advice saying, "Oh, if you have that turned on, turn that off because Aww. that's the problem." It's like, oh. Aww. Now, also in the, I'm not going to go into it detail. Uh, I wanted to just say to Jungle Disk users, maybe there's hope, because there have been so many unhappy people with Jungle Disk. You know, they got bought by Rackspace. Uh, which is why Rackspace is the you know the cloud service choice or of choice for Jungle Disk, although it still works with Amazon and so forth. Um, but the t- the support's been really lousy. They recently changed their philosophy, where you it's no longer essentially free the way it used to be, which really upset people. People used to use it, for example, to create a private network to an unattended server, for example, so they would be able to get to that server. Well, Jungle Disk, or rather Rackspace, as the parent, in the quest for more revenue, decided that they would only allow the non-paid versions to interoperate between logged-on people. So you can use it, for example, as it is used often, for to set up a private little gaming network. But then you know, in, in, in which case everybody would be logged onto their machines that are connected into this little jungle disk subnet across the internet. But you can no longer use it in its free version, the way you have always been able to use it, um, to like hook to an unattended machine where you don't have somebody, you know, actively logged on and using the system. Now, the ray of hope is that at blog.jungledisk.com for any Hold out users of Jungle Disk. Um, they had a what the new year holds for Jungle Disk entry. Uh, there's a new CTO, and apparently they sent out questionnaires to some subset of their users, and the questionnaires came back polarized. There were people who were completely happy and wanted nothing more. And on the other side, there were people. Who, you know, probably feel about jungle disc the way we feel about about PayPal. I mean, they're only using it because they, because they have to, because there's absolutely nothing else that they found that does what they want. Um, so this was apparently a bit of a wake-up call, and they're promising that they're gonna fix these problems. They're gonna be more, they're gonna be better with support, they're gonna communicate more, and they're gonna, you know, fix things. So for what it's worth. People who are using jungle disc, uh, you know, it might get better. And anyone who's interested can check out the blog dot jungle blog.jungle disc dot com for the details. And in my backlog of stuff to get to is a rather sobering analysis uh, that a an R D company did of the silicon of a chip used in networking products where they discovered a hardware backdoor in the design. We've talked about this, we've touched on it a few times. You know, it is a worry. Um it's because, you know, we're th- there's obviously tension between for example the US and China um of various sorts and uh we're getting a lot of fabrication being done there. And how do you know what's in the chip? The chip's got legs, uh, but it's, you know, it's got a lid on it. And and it's incredibly complicated. And you just can't look at it and know what the design is. It takes a huge amount of effort to reverse engineer the design of a chip from, the, from looking at it. Now, in the old days, microprocessors were reverse engineered. Popping the lid was something that, well, that was jargon in the industry, and it was the way designs got stolen. But they've, with, with this insane ramping up of complexity that we've had, um, it's just, that, that's vastly more difficult. Yet, the Los Alamos National Laboratory here in the United States just removed all of its Chinese network switches. A congressional report found that Hawaii, Huawei,
0: H U A W E I, think it's Huawei, and I think they pronounce it Huawei. By the way, they Huawei. had a massive booth at CES. <laughs> 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 well, were they waving American flags? They, well, did they have. They dispute red, this. this. Yeah, this is this is a a, a while yes. ago. The Commerce Department came out with this, and uh, and it's reasonable, uh, but they but Huawei disputes it
1: yes so what 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 the what the Congressional report said was that that the company had ties to the Chinese military and intelligence services uh, they deny any connection to the military and say that their products are completely safe to use um, so who knows um, uh, I will as soon as I get to it uh. Take us through the details of reverse engineering the hardware, which did find a backdoor. So they are known to exist. Uh, we don't know that this is an instance of it, but it is something that you know we need to to keep in mind.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> and if I were running Los Alamos Labs, where they make atomic weapons, yeah, I might be prudent. I yeah. might act in, in terms of prudence. Yeah. It's the router that they're worried about, right? Because who knows what codes in there? Not just yeah. The chips.
1: Well, the router, yeah, or or they said switches. So and yeah, and switches and switch is a sort of a generic term. They so make it, phones
0: it, too, and I don't know. I mean, you know, this, this was a pretty broad report. Yeah. Like. <laughs> anyway.
1: So um, I did. I did ask for the tweeter who tweeted me a week ago or two weeks ago, that he had come up with a cool synopsis page of my Twitter stream re- re- related to Security Now podcasts so that when I when I say, oh, I just tweeted this link for anyone who's listening, uh, the the observation was made in our last Q&A that it's like, well, Steve, that might have been a year ago, you know, that I'm listening to, you know, episode 206. So, uh, you know... That's that's a problem. Anyway, so I created a shortcut. It's b i t dot l y slash s g g r c all lowercase because Bitly is deliberately case sensitive, so that it's able to encode more more links in a in in a short string. So it's b i t dot l y slash s g g r c, and it is uh, it was Simon Parleberg in Copenhagen amazing. who. Yeah, isn't
0: that great? It's
1: so. Thank apparent- God for called-
0: Scandinavian winners. That's all I can say.
1: <laughs> he called it a hack, so I think he must be he must have a bot which is just pulling the stream in. I did see that it's it's always up to date, so it has my latest tweets from yesterday in it at the top. It is in reverse chronological order, and so what I think he does is he, he like inserts a place marker for every security now podcast and nicely formats it so anybody who you know is listening to a podcast and i mention a tweet that has a link you can go to bitly bit.ly slash sggrc which you know i, I came up with that because that's the same as my my twitter handle uh, and scroll back and find it so well, thank you this is you, code
0: this is impressive that's very
1: cool if it's, thank it's you.
0: not not be code this is this is somebody unless he's
1: no, how it's code. Get, how's he
0: getting the time codes?
1: Um, I'm sure that's all in the Twitter stream. There, oh, I see.
0: Eight- I see what he's doing. This is the, not the time code into the podcast. This isn't the tweet. This is the tweet. Right, uh, I right, get right, it. So he's just, he's just saying, oh, yeah, I could see how I would do this. So i would say, well, the week of January 1st through 8th, these were the tweets. Exactly. Yeah, that had links in them.
1: And by the way, Le- um, Elaine also replied, listening to the podcast, as she is forced to do every week, mm-hmm. Um that she has been putting – she's been expanding and putting the links in the show notes oh, all along in in, um, in her um, transcripts. Nice. So they're also in the transcripts for anyone who is looking. And you're going to like this one, Leo. Uh, go to that next link before I mention it, um, although I also tweeted it, so you could find it right there in my, in my Twitter stream. Um, Mark Thompson uh, turned me on to this, and I thought it was really interesting if you – uh dig down like uh you can see the chart of the okay i i should for the people who aren't seeing the feed right there but but click on some of those languages leo like t- click on java
0: number okay. 2 so this list. is from uh, com, and yes. it is it is what it's a programming it community a, index yes, yes it, it is, so and, java. and this
1: in particular this oh it's how much TI, it's
0: used well
1: it's languages it's the it's the, community, the rating it's the, it's the community's overall use of languages ah. over time.
0: So Java and, is declining.
1: And, and, and with some weird anomalies. Like, look at yeah. that big notch.
0: It stopped in 2004-5. People really stopped you. That May has to be an I artifact. I think that's
1: a, remor- a, a reporting anomaly. That has to be an artifact, yeah. Yeah, but it is on a straight-line decline. If you now, now scroll to the chart below, and one of the really interesting things is Objective-C, that very blue line at the bottom Ooh, that look takes at that off, off, iOS and, baby, exactly <laughs> yeah, why, yeah, exactly yeah. why.
0: That's what iPhone apps are written in, and then starting in 2009, it really, uh huh.
1: <laughs> yep, and uh, but number one, still top dog is good old C. You know, it's uh, it's sort of the high level assembly language. Uh, plain and
0: plain C, not Objective C, not yes. C plus not C plain sharp. C. C, you know, Kernigan and Ritchie C. Yep, That's exactly. Neat. That's neat. C, a
1: programming language. My one C. of my favorite you know, texts. What,
0: I love C. It is one yeah. of the best programming books ever written. It's about this thick. It's like a like yep. a quarter of an inch, and it's just beautiful. It's elegant. Yeah. First, yeah, first, so first high level um, language I ever learned, and I'm still—it's a
1: long URL for anyone interested. I did tweet it, and a lot of people uh, fed back that the, the they were liking poking around in those charts. Uh, so uh, if you just check my Twitter stream, t- twitter.com slash sggrc, it's not far back at this moment, or Bitly b i t slash sggrc, you can find the index. Thanks to Simon of everything. Uh, anyway, anyway, it's called the T I O B E Tiobe. T-I-O-B-E
0: Index. They say they, they use search engines, uh, Google, Bing, Yahoo, Wikipedia, Amazon, YouTube, and Baidu are used to calculate the ratings. Huh. It's it's they're saying, they're counting lines of code. <laughs> oh. Lines of code. Is that amazing or what? <laughs> wow. Yeah.
1: And, yeah, it, and, yeah, and they
0: really... make the point that you should probably, if you're a programmer, be paying attention to this because these are these are skills that you'd want. Ruby, by the way, is number eleven on the just right at the bottom on the top 10 well
1: and but go to the second chart way down is the ones that didn't make it onto that yeah. chart there's the
0: real dogs <laughs> Pop, i mean S- sql there. transact sas Cobol, yeah. fortran r <laughs> scheme which is a great language and i and i wish it were more more used abap which must be some specialty language logo prologue erlang haskell scala these are just too hard for most people Q, D, R, P. Or they're just weird. They're Small like talk, declarative fourth. languages yeah. or like really bizarre. APL experiment. requires a special keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even type APL. Common Lisp, Action Script, way down there. Awk, F. But these are, yeah, some of these are special. I mean, Awk and Tickle. Action you know. Script is still there, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Number yeah. 43 on the top 50. Uh. <laughs> and then, so, by the way, the next 50, Fox Pro, Algol. <laughs>
1: I didn't see that. Oh, yeah. There's
0: the the, the bottom 50, 51 to 100, PowerShell, Spark, VBScript, WebDNA, XSpace, X10. Some of these, you know, for instance, VBScript, probably you're not going to show up on a Google search because it's all internal code. And so, you know, that's probably misreported, heavily misreported. But who knows? Yeah. Cool. LabVIEW's in there. (laughs) Emacs. (laughs) (laughs) Mathematica.
1: So... Uh Ars Technica did a nice explanation of what uh, happened at the beginning of the year with iOS 6's Do Not Disturb. Yeah, function. wasn't
0: that great? I want you to explain yeah. this because I don't know what the difference is between four capital-wise and four lowercase-wise. Yeah. Would you explain I that, at- explain that <laughs> to me, Lucy?
1: Because <laughs> that's well, what if happened. You, if you really care, I could tell you next week because I just sort of looked at it and just shrugged. It's like, "Uh, eh, okay." Well, the, you know. the
0: short form is that they use an ISO numbering scheme which has some known bugs in it instead of or and there's a Gregorian numbering scheme. And they use the ISO scheme without uh testing for bugs which the bugs that are known, well known. Uh, and there's, you know, everybody else does. Most people use the ISO scheme. But uh mo- but people know that, "Oh, well yeah, in the first week of the year, you got a problem. Week 1, you got a problem or week 0, uh-huh. maybe it's week 0." Wow. Yeah, it's really it's, it's very interesting.
1: Yep. Good old boundary conditions will, yeah. will get you every
0: time. Boundary conditions, baby. You guessed yeah, it, really. I, I think all, you you picked it up uh, last week. Well,
1: that's essentially what, you yeah, know,
0: what always it's is. Be. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I do all my math, you know, because I've got all kinds of date stuff on my server and I did of course wrote it all in assembler. Um I I have really careful um linearization of calendar dates from Nineteen hundred, I think it is. Uh, yeah, and uh, and then I, you know, I just base everything on us on a simple linear uh, number. It's like, oh, okay, it's pretty easy. So you know, you divide by seven and take you know do or do mod seven, and that tells you what day of the week it is. So not that difficult, folks. But I guess if you are using you know canned packages and not doing it with you know taking the responsibility that you really have to when you use a canned package or a standard with bugs, then that's what you are going to get. Um, A little quick uh, update on the, uh, the treble shooter uh, dog training project. We've got lots of people building them, Leo. Um, I'm getting where they're posting pictures. We have a topic in the Google group, uh, the Portable Sound Blaster Google group, uh, where people are posting the pictures of their construction projects, building sort of flashlight form factor uh, devices. The design, uh, we have two designs. One is the one I will end up making. It's a fixed frequency, incredibly low parts count, no microcode or firmware or anything required that costs about $10. Um, And just turned out beautifully. I never had, never expected we were going to get something like this when I began. But I also want to explore a a microprocessor-based version just to sort of, just to have it before I switch my attention from this to something else. Um, So I'm still working on that. Many people are saying, Hey, where, you know, where are the designs? You know, where is it? I want to build one. And, and they also, I'm getting tweets saying that the GRC pages are blank except for the introduction page. And it's like, yes, you know, this is still very much in flux. So I would recommend that it's probably easiest if people just wait the, the, The Portable Sound Blaster group in Google is very active, but those groups are so awful that it's just impossible to find anything there. You know that Google can't even search them, Leo? It's unbelievable. Wow. You know, they're hosted by Google, and you can only search the subject line. You can't search the content of the posts. And it's like, oh, oh, okay, crazy. So um, if anyone is interested, there's a zip file, a zip archive, that I do maintain at GRC only because you can't maintain such things easily in the Google groups. And that's grc.com slash TQC as in the quiet canine. So grc.com slash TQC slash latest designs dot zip. And that I I'm, I'm updating that as I go. And that's got a, a collection of resources for the project. Um, the schematics and and uh, and PDFs and even a big PNG file of the source code for people who just kind of are curious and want to scroll down through that to see uh, what it looks like. Are, are, so you,
0: are you? You're using Google com- Communities now? Not you're not still on no. Google. Turns oh. out
1: no, no communities. Do do even less,
0: Leo? They're, I don't know why they, they wouldn't search into the Google groups.
1: Isn't that amazing? Yeah, the, the, the many people were posting. The reason I did this, this static file at GRC is that people were saying, hey, I can't find the version 2.2.2 2. 2 2 design. Sense. And, you know, as I'm, I'm referring to it all over the place. But sure enough, when you try to search, it doesn't show it to you. They do it's say really, that
0: they, 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 you're using the new Google Groups, right?
1: Yeah, I am using the new, new Google, Google Groups. groups. But, and I did go look, I did go check out the the whatever it is the other thing, the new thing, but it's even less Communities, i mean it's, yeah, just it's g plus communities communities it's it's even less than 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 this is so anyway um what what and, and, well, anyway, so I won't go into any more details, but we're having a lot of fun. It's coming uh, along, and, uh, and I will have some results uh, pretty soon.
0: I'm going to mention something before we go on uh, that I want everybody to know is if you watch this show on YouTube, I know not many do, but some do. Uh, most people want to download and they want to, you know, transcript and so forth. But we do make all of our shows available on YouTube, and as of uh, this week, we've switched everything over on YouTube. So we have a whole new... Uh, I'm very proud of what, what happened. Our engineering staff and Russell Tammany uh, and uh, uh, got, uh, Spiro and everybody got together, and we've written code to automate the encoding of audio and video. So editors finish, they drag a mezzanine file, and all this stuff happens automatically. It gets posted automatically, which is why you've nice. been glitches from time to time. But now that that code... Is, and by the way, that means 720p versions are also available for all shows for download now. Uh, But also it means that we've moved the YouTube channels. Previously, we had a single YouTube channel, youtube.com slash twit, for all shows. That really is kind of a nutty way to do it because if you subscribed, you got every one of the 25 shows we produce. Not really useful. So now what we've done is if you go to youtube.com slash twit, you'll see on the right there are new twit channels for all the shows. Uh, Unfortunately, you can't get them all on there. But uh, well, you can if you if you push more, you'll see all the shows. And uh, but I don't see security now on here yet. Maybe because we're this will be the first one will be today. So I think the channel is, and let's just check Twit Security Now. We were able to secure uh, channel names for all the shows. Yeah, I think this is going to be where it'll be once the, this this episode will be the first on there. So mm. Twit Security Now will be the uh, the channel. YouTube.com slash twitch Security Now. We couldn't get plain old security now. Somebody else has that. Uh, and so if you are among the few who care about this, just be aware. And we'll put a posting on our YouTube channel and, and let people know you should now go to a new channel. But that way you can say, I want to subscribe to the YouTube Security Now feed and just get Security Now. You can go, oh. we needed to do this. You go uh, show by show. Nice. Yeah. So, and, and it doesn't, you know. It, To me, uh, my my favorite way for you to get the show is to subscribe to the the downloads, but but I want to make it easy for everybody. All right.
1: So, this is completely random, and so (laughs) just, you know, completely random, but for years, uh, people whose opinion I respect have been saying, hey, Steve, are you watching The Good Wife? Huh. Now you know I bet if that's been not the me,
0: first show you would jump to in TV guide
1: precisely that's <laughs> the problem you know if you know are you watching the bedwetters no i'm not you know but and i and i realized if it were named cyclotron Crash Hammer, i would have never missed an episode but
0: you know a cyclotron, it's called, but is it about a cyclotron clash Hammer or is it about a good no. wife well you know i kind of thought how good can it possibly be if it's called the good wife Really,
1: I mean, it's just not going to get my attention. You know, Justified just started last night. Was the next season, which is you know on FX. Is woo. That's for those who watch Justified. You know what I mean? It's wonderful. Um, But the Good Wife, and and so you know, it was a little slow over the holidays. And 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 Sue, who's you know been with me for I don't know twenty four years, she's from every every so often she'll say, Hey, did you know? Have you ever tried? Have you ever watched that? Anyway. It's fantastic. That's all I wanted to say. Just to share something that I find when I do, like, you know, the way
0: I found Homeland. Um Love Homeland uh, and I'm uh, you know, I finished it. But by the way, it's not universal the love for Homeland. I know.
1: Uh, I know. Some people and, are a
0: little tired of Claire Danes' cry face. <laughs> 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 and I admit by the end of season 2 I was a little tired tired of it too, but it's still a great show. Yeah.
1: So the Good Wife is is it's now in its 4th year, it's about halfway through its 4th season. Uh up to the end of the 3rd season, it had been nominated for 21 wow. primetime Emmy Awards. Whoa. Uh Julianna Margulies, who's one of the stars, she of course was one of the really came to fame as the nurse, one of the head nurses in ER, which Michael Crichton of course produced. The executive producers of The Good Wife are the Scots, Ridley Scott and Tony Scott.
0: Okay, um, that's that's a good start.
1: I know that's encouraging. And, I know. And uh, creators of Alien pl- and Aliens. She, exactly. Yeah. She got a Primetime Emmy, uh, a Golden Globe, two Screen Actors Guilds Award, and a TCA Award for individual achievement f- in this series. One of the other actors uh, got a uh, her another Primetime Emmy. Um, and a third actor or actress got a primetime Emmy. So it's won a Peabody Award, but twice Steve, nominated is it, for the Screen Actors Guild. Is it S- Guild. science fiction? No. It's, um, it's <laughs> okay. a courtroom. Oh,
0: it's, it's a courtroom. A, it's, a, okay.
1: it's, a, it's a, it's, it's, you wouldn't think so. the good wife. Like what? She, I know, I'm not, I'm not going to get myself any, into any more trouble. Um, good, good, but, good thinking. So why do I like it? First of all, I do enjoy the courtroom interaction. Um, I find I've always found, you know, obviously that that's a genre that appeals to a slice of the viewership in the country because courtroom dramas have have had long running success over the years. But it's very well written. It's very well acted. All the characters are distinct and interesting. And so I am you know it's not I'm not saying it's going to curl your toes or. You, it's not the best thing that I've ever found, but I'm really glad I finally, I got the first three seasons on disc and I'm going through them. And it took maybe eh, eight episodes. I mean, I liked it off right off the bat, but it's like, okay, where's this going? And, we, and it's got the classic, you know, long cross-series story arc running in the background with, you know, episodic things happening that develop the characters and and you know move them around like chess pieces on the chessboard. So anyway, if if other people have told you about it and you haven't made the move, now you've heard it yet again from one other person and I like it. So, I have to point out said,
0: something. Really random. I have I'm to done. point out something that the and you know it's one of those things that these things happen so gradually nobody notices, but we have really changed our TV viewing. You could not have said this 5 years ago. <laughs> I mean, maybe you could. You could say get the DVDs, I guess. But it, But I would say, at least everybody in our set, very few people are watching live television anymore. Tune in Thursday night for The Good Wife on ABC or whatever it is. Right. In fact, I right. don't even know or care what network it's on. Right. Increasingly, we're watching shows uh, on d- download, on demand, or on DVD. And, much more importantly, not one episode at a time, but like a box of candy that you just
1: <laughs> snarf yep. up. Exactly the way you absorbed the first two seasons of Homeland. Yeah.
0: And I have to say, it's a much better, there's much better experience. There's no advertising. But also, there's not this long. Yeah, continuity is much better. Now, I wonder, I'm very interested if people who create these shows uh, are going to kind of think about that and change. You know, because I think until now, you really assumed, well, there's going to be six days between these episodes. Mm. I want you know I've got to and you know they really spend a long time still on previously on the Good Wife. I don't know if actually none of that. Not on the DVD and, maybe.
1: And and I could not watch Twenty Four because yeah. every single hour ended with like <gasps> you know and it's, it's like <laughs> so much oh, better to watch it gonna, in one swell foop. Yes. Yes,
0: and I suspect yeah. that that now maybe it's just us because we're nerds and we have the we have the means, <laughs> we have the technology, <laughs> but I suspect there is a sea change in the way people consume episodic television.
1: Well, I do know that I asked my sister, who's got two uh, now, now my niece and nephew, her kids are in college, uh, but they were in high school, and I said, so, you know, what TV do Evan and Jenna watch? And Nancy said, oh, they don't watch TV; they watch, they watch everything on their
0: laptop. Yeah they watch youtube my kids watch youtube yeah that's it uh very interesting i i you know it's great i love it <laughs> i love being because i'm i i you know you and i like change i, I don't know about you you're kind, you're kind of a fuddy duddy yeah i am <laughs> <laughs> but most people yeah, in not,
1: technology I, I'm not I'm not denying it. You know and embrace the new. I've had the same thing for breakfast every single yeah. day for the last 6 months.
0: I'm quite happy. There were it. several years where Steve had a ham sandwich every day for lunch <laughs> and that was it. But uh I think those uh, in t- who like change uh, are in are in hog heaven. <laughs> Cuz the world is changing fast.
1: Well, yeah, although there is a problem with distraction. Oh, because, yeah. oh, you know, yeah. that's one of the things that all of these op- the, all these possibilities that's, bring that's to us is, is oh my yeah. goodness, distraction.
0: There were I, I did some research because I was speaking at podcast or actually New Media Expo, Podcast the Podcast show uh this week and um I, I we contacted uh, on Monday I contacted Brian Ellis over at iTunes to say how many uh podcasts are there? 250,000. Oh. Not episodes, <laughs> series. different series, wow. a quarter of a million in a hundred and forty different countries and fifty languages. Do you remember the days when we used to be we would we, we would look on iTunes to see not
1: where, like your podcasts were, but how many were in were <laughs> the simultaneously in yeah. the top ten. Yeah. Those, those days <laughs> sorry, are I gone. Th- I think it was top fifteen.
0: Yeah, those yeah. days is gone. Oh. Which is fine. I'm happy. I'm thrilled about it. But you also remember people were kind of going crazy about the idea of a 500 channel cable universe quarter of a million channels. Try that. Yeah. Wow. All right. We shall move on and talk more about. So security. I have
1: a nice note from Todd Sankey in Vancouver, Canada, who did something. I this was this is uh, less a testimonial than a tip to serious diehard Spinrite fans. He said, Hi, Steve. With all due respect, and I'm not quite sure what this reference is, so maybe you can help me out here, Leo. With all due respect to Jack Black and Kung Fu Panda.
0: Okay. This <laughs> you don't this have combination
1: really is fantastic. So, Kung Fu
0: Panda is a series of movies about uh, 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 animated movies about a panda that is good at Kung Fu. I think there have been two, Why? maybe three, and Jack Black okay. plays the voice. Okay, there you go. Ah got oh, it. Thank I you. should tell that the ex- Oh,
1: so so he's saying with all due respect to Jack Black and Kung Fu Panda, this combination really is fantastic. <laughs> so apparently he is a fan of Jack Black's he, voiceovers he loves of the it. panda. Yes. Ah. Okay. And so is what he has figured out how to do with Spinrite. Okay. Is, I'm a fairly new spinrite owner, learning about it after listening to your Security Now podcast. Great product, great podcast. Thanks. I don't use my cherished copy of Spinrite very often, but I have a small workspace and my wife resists, he has in quotes, resists, letting me clutter it up with spare machines. I just have my one main work machine. So when I have needed to run Spinrite, it's fairly intrusive because I lose access to my main machine. Since, of course, Spinrite run, you know, you boot Spinrite and it it is the OS while it's running. Did you know it is possible to configure a virtual box VM to have raw access to a physical disk drive. Once I learned this, I had to give it a try with SpinRite. The golden goal, SpinRite running in a VM with full access to all its magic and simultaneous full access to all of my main machine And it just works. It takes a little bit of work because you need to work directly with command line utilities as the functions needed are not exposed in the VirtualBox GUI. But VirtualBox is well documented and the few steps are really very straightforward. So I write this to you from my main machine as my Spinrite VM grinds away on a reluctant eSATA drive that I need to refresh to get my PVR working again. Please share as you see fit, but I find this combo really useful. Thanks, Todd. And thanks for the tip, Todd. Very cool. Good idea. I know that we'll have some listeners who go, Oh my God, that's perfect. Mm -hmm. So widget jacking. Um, Everyone who's been listening for a while will remember, and you already refreshed everyone's memory, Leo, um, About Fire Sheep. Fire Sheep was an add on for Firefox, which made it embarrassingly simple to hijack people's social networking logons in any open public Wi Fi unencrypted hotspot. This was only a few years ago. When Facebook was not encrypted, Twitter was not encrypted, LinkedIn was not encrypted, Google was not encrypted, and so forth. And the, the mechanism of log on, logging on is that you establish your authentication over a secure connection, but then all websites would then drop you, would give your browser a cookie and then switch you back to non-HTTPs back to a regular http unencrypted connection. The problem with that is that because of the the session granularity that browsers have, that is when a browser makes a request, it's just it's a request coming into the server in the sky from li- like any other request anywhere. And but we want to create a persistent relationship with the server and are our, and ourselves as we move around the website, as we do things, whatever it is, after logging on and authenticating ourselves. So that's done by having every single request send back the cookie that we were given when we were granted access and and proved that we were who we say we are. So that token is our unique identity. The problem is, and that what FireSheep Really exposed and turned the pressure up on these companies, and essentially forced them to go HTTPS everywhere or all the time. Was that all of those roamings around Facebook were were sending that cookie that was the person? It was their identity for the moment, for the session. It, it was sending it through the air, through all over the Wi-Fi connection in the clear. So FireSheep grabbed that, parsed all of the, it, it operated in so-called promiscuous mode with its Wi-Fi radio, um, which is where rather than the Wi-Fi radio only receiving traffic meant for it, it would receive all traffic. So it was seeing everything everyone was transmitting from their laptops to the access point, And it, it was looking at it, parsing it, finding out whether it was Facebook or LinkedIn or any of the growing number of sites, the social networking sites that and others, that it understood. And if so, it would grab the cookie in the request header and and then it would go to the page, get your pic, the person's picture, and then stick it in a thumbnail in a little toolbar down the side. So you just turn this thing on at Starbucks and it starts going pop, 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 and people's faces are appearing and you're looking around you saying, Oh, there he is over there. Yeah. And, and, and then double clicking on it allows you to impersonate him. So this was a huge problem. And as, as you reminded us, I celebrated it because this was, this was going on all the time anyway, but it, and there was no way it, that it was going to be foreclosed on unless it was like really made to be a problem so that the companies would go through the burdensome process of changing all their systems over so that they can be HTTPS, that is to say SSL connections, all the time. So we're more or less there. Now, a security researcher uh, named Brian Kenish gave a, a talk, a presentation at DEF CON about a year and a half ago, DEF CON 2011, uh, on the prevalence and consequences of social widgets. Um, he was noticing that widgets were just exploding all over the Internet. That That, I mean, you know, like Facebook's like button, for example, which is, you know, you go to sites now and they're just lined up in a row, I I sometimes am a little bit bemused that we're all supposed to recognize all of these little icons because nothing it doesn't say you know Twitter and Facebook and Google it's just their little mini icon buttons that you know and, and you know look at the level of identity that has been established among these things it's sort of breathtaking so um back then so this is a year and a half ago um, widgets from facebook.com, that domain, were then, and it's certainly more so now, found on 33%. So one-third of the top 1,000 sites. Google.com had its presence, its widgets, on 25% of the top 1,000 and Twitter on 20 And certainly those numbers are bigger today. Um, and there's a neat site built with uh, that I think we've talked about before, Um, It just, these guys monitor the technologies behind the web pages that we see. What are the technologies that websites are built with? And you can query their data, which is massive in all kinds of ways. Brian did this and to discover that Facebook like buttons, and again, a year and a half ago, um, are up 63% in popularity year over year across the top 10,000 sites. Google plus one buttons were up a year and a half ago, year over year, 33%. So that's growth. And Twitter tweet buttons, 35% growth. Now, here's the problem. Facebook deliberately used Facebook.com to host their widgets. Why? Because their members' browsers carry Facebook session cookies which identify them. And, and even if the cookie is no longer fresh, so that if you went to Facebook, it would say you must log in, um, the cookie may have expired, but it's present. So it knows who you were, even if it's not sure who you are. Well, as we know, browser cookies are stored by domain and sent by domain, which is to say that if your browser asks facebook.com for anything, a page, a picture, the image of the button, the social networking button, your browser identifies itself. It sees, oh, I've got cookies that were issued to me once by Facebook.com, I'm going to give them back. That's what browsers do. That's the, the essence of our ability to maintain a stateful relationship with a browser is that every single request sends back the cookies that the browser has. So what that means is that the social networking sites are sort of the next generation of, of privacy concern. It used to be, and we've discussed this often, that the advertisers, the you know, the so-called advertising networks like DoubleClick, they were a concern because their prevalence across the internet meant that your browser established a, an unwitting relationship with them. Because they would give you a cookie if you didn't give one to them, they would give one to you. And then henceforth, you would give it back to them every time you pulled an ad on any website you went to on the Internet. And so thus, you know, that gave gave um, uh, way to this whole tracking industry that has upset people to varying degrees. Well, this is now changed sort of, I mean, that's all still in place. You know, this is why Google bought DoubleClick is because, you know, it, it generates revenue um, from apparently from this information aggregation. Facebook is even, and other social networking sites, is even in a stronger position because the argument used to be that, well, DoubleClick doesn't know who you are. They just know your browser 39264783 and you've gone to these various places. We can argue that Facebook, on the other hand, knows a lot about you. You, you know, I mean, it knows all kinds of things about you. In fact, it's becoming controversial how much of themselves people are putting into Facebook. So so Facebook has all of this, del- you know, volunteered information and networked information and then the net has become littered with their like buttons. So every time any Facebook user goes to any website that has a like button, Facebook knows. So so I'm not judging it. I'm just saying this is what's happening. Um, But that's the privacy side. There's a security side. And it's bad. The reason is these things are still not HTTPS. The widgets, the social networking widgets, like buttons and plus one buttons and tweet buttons and so forth, even though when you're using Facebook with HTTPS everywhere, all the time, turn it on, that's your use of Facebook, First-person use of Facebook, which Facebook is now enforcing as being over SSL. But other websites that host the Facebook like button have no such constraint. Even on their secure pages, they may be HTTPS all the time, always secure. But their their assets, the page assets, the, the images for these buttons are more often than not simply http because that works better they're they're guaranteed of it working they don't have to wonder if it will or will not work http the lower common denominator always works so if you are back at Starbucks and you are a Facebook user and you are now not using Facebook, because now you're protected by Facebook. If you've got SSL on and, and always secure, Facebook is protecting you. But if you then go anywhere else and encounter a like button, your session cookie is in the clear once again.
0: So what so, does that mean that somebody can impersonate? Well, I guess that's what you're going to talk about next. Yes. Well, <laughs>
1: yes. That, that the next step we are right back to wh- where almost worse than we were with Fire Sheep, because Fire Sheep was was only intercepting your first party inter- interactions with the target site, and 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 seeing those. Now, thanks to the thanks to the fact that these that these social networking sites have their assets spread just like ads are. They're, they are essentially little, you know, little uh, identity ads. They're spread all over the internet, and they're not secure. So, going to a, go, you can go to one page, for example, uh, you know, TechCrunch, and and it's got all those little icons lined up. Visiting that one page, every cookie that you have identifying you with any and all of those sites that you're part that you participate in goes out along you know in a series of queries to retrieve those images for the buttons on that page when you visit that page so this is known as widget jacking and it exists it's so it's like it's it's Arguably more of a problem even than than fire sheep showed us with first party hijacking of sessions, so-called sidejacking, because here, you know, it, you're like one page that's not related to any of the pages that are that are being compromised through this identity leakage. Those cookies are going out with those widgets. So um, what do we do about it? Well, it turns out there's a wonderful solution. Um, much as there was with Fire Sheep, uh, that that of course required people to turn on security. Um, there is a open source offering called Disconnect, and the site is disconnect.me, as in disconnect me. Obviously, it is open source, free, and Cross-platform, Firefox, Chrome, and Safari. Brian Kenish, who I referred to earlier, he was the guy who did the the 2011 talk at, at DEF CON about this. Um, get a load where he used to work. He was an engineer for DoubleClick.
0: So he knows all about it.
1: <laughs> knows all about it. Uh, Brian is the co-founder and original developer of, of the first version of Disconnect, a couple years ago, which is why I've had my eye on this for a while. In his own biography, he wrote, Brian is the original developer of Disconnect. He spent many years tracking users as an engineer for DoubleClick, then Google. <laughs> but but now, like George in episode 86 of Seinfeld, is doing the complete opposite. <laughs> Um, And in a blog posting of his on uh, in October, uh, October 24th, 2011, he posted exactly one year ago, I noticed a virus infecting the Web. Facebook widgets, mostly like buttons were popping up everywhere alongside the articles I read, the music I listened to, the videos I watched. Worse, Facebook was and is. Serving these widgets from the same domain, facebook.com, as their login cookies. Being a tracking aficionado, he says, parens, I developed DoubleClick's mobile ad server and the Cluji precursor to Google's AdWords API. So this guy knows his stuff. He said, I recognized Facebook strategy. He says, Facebook strategy, collecting user browsing habits to sell to advertisers. That night, I spent two hours writing 53 lines of JSON and JavaScript, and then two more hours making a Ghostbusters-inspired logo for it to inoculate my browser. I called the Chrome extension, which works by stopping the flow of personal data from third-party sites to Facebook Facebook Disconnect. I'd done side projects before and included another extension that had 37 users. (laughs) But I was thinking big this time. I imagined Facebook Disconnect could have 50 users. I was off by three orders of magnitude and change. Today, Facebook Disconnect, and remember, this is October 24th, 2011. He's saying today, Facebook Disconnect has over 150,000 weekly users, and the extension has been Chrome-only until now. To celebrate Facebook Disconnect's birthday, we've created versions for Firefox and Safari and open-sourced the code as usual. And there's links to it. It's over on on GitHub. Then, in a much more recent blog posting, end of April 2012, they are celebrating having 511,900 active users across a seven-day period. What is significant, the reason I'm telling everyone this, is it is a cool add-on. Lightweight, behaves itself, um, installs easily into Firefox, Safari, or Chrome, and it's very quiet. A little button on the toolbar, and if you're curious, you can see how much blocking it has done. What it, what Disconnect does is disconnect you from... The the tracking that the major sites that it understands are doing, um, and at, I'm looking at mine right now supports currently Facebook, Google, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Yahoo. And um, the but the reason that I finally decided I needed to tell everyone about this is they is is a couple of months ago, November 2012, they added Wi-Fi security to Disconnect meaning that their technology is now able to prevent widget jacking which i just described they're able to see that the the subsidiary assets being pulled from or pulled by a browser being requested by a browser over a non-secure channel can be secured and so on the fly they intercept before they leave the user's computer, they they convert them from HTTP to HTTPS. So where you would be surfing with any of these browsers at Starbucks and be exposing your Facebook cookies, if you went to any page that had a, a Facebook like button on it, all you have to do is install disconnect in that browser and it will make that the, the browser's same query for the button. Everything works identically. It'll just just coerce it into HTTPS. And then your Facebook cookies are as secure as the cookies for the main site you're visiting that was inadvertently leaking this information into the air. So um, I, I've been running it for a while. I am very impressed um I, I it does a it does a very nice job of of protecting and so if you're you know if you're a, someone whose machine never leaves the house then it's like oh okay not such a big deal i mean it is the case that unsecured data is going through the internet as opposed to being uh, wrapped by security and our listeners who are generally more security conscious would probably just as soon have that and why not Get a you know break this this tracking uh, by the major social sites also so that they're no longer aggregating uh, as as he explains uh, in his first posting. So it's free, it's open source, it's disconnect.me, and uh, click one button and it puts the puts the the shields up for you.
0: Well, we should say that you it's not it's a kind of a manual process, right? I mean, you have to go through one by one. Your stuff, No,
1: right? no, no. Oh. Um,
0: I installed it. Oh, he has it, updated it, it. Aha, I see now. It's a plug-in. Yeah. Oh, it. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the, the, um, he, has, he has it available in three flavors. I'm not sure why. I think it's mostly historical. It's because he did the Facebook disconnect by itself. Right. And then he did a... And then, and, and then he, you know, he, like, supported the different platforms. Then, then did one for Google and, and did one for Twitter. But... It's all in one now. I installed this one thing. It installed seamlessly in Firefox, and the secure Wi-Fi is easy. It's like a little check box in the menu. It was turned on for me by default because why wouldn't you want it? And they have some very cool t- adaptive technology. If you if you try to use HTTP everywhere, you know that 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 plug-in that attempts to force everything to be SSL, unfortunately, that can break pages. And these guys understand that you can't just do that. You can't use brute force, force it on. So if it encounters things that fail, it falls back. It You know, it can't. It, it can't lock it down. So it just says, okay, well, you know, we, we're, we're going to let the page continue functioning. Uh, we tried to make this secure, but we're unable to. And the number of sites that it knows about is growing over time. Interesting. So yeah, it's just it's an install and forget little uh, little goodie. Unlike you know NoScript, which is is in your face and you're and you're needing to mess around with. Um, this thing just works. How about so,
0: Ghostery and things like that? This doesn't replace them because Ghostery is more about information. Correct. But uh, it might be a nice adjunct.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ghostery is great because it just, I mean, it just gives you, you know, I ran Ghostery for a while then I got tired of the window right. block page that I was on. It's more
0: informational than
1: anything else. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, a, it's a really nice wake-up call to show you, you know, just exactly how much of this is going on.
0: And in my and defense, by the way, we use the Facebook like button uh, because uh, that's a great way for people to share what they're, I mean, we have social sharing on all of our stuff.
1: Right, and now, and this this isn't breaking that, Leo. Right. This, this is just making, making it sure it, it's making sure that your use of it is secure for the people who right. visit your page and encounter that button. Right.
0: Cool. Yeah. Does it, does it turn on SSL? I mean, what is it doing? Yeah, it turns on SSL. So if it, I don't have SSL on my site, is that when it steps back and says, "Okay, well"?
1: No, because the SSL on your site well, is it turns incoming on
0: Facebook's SSL. Correct. Got it.
1: Yes, all it simply does is it, it coerces the non-secure outgoing queries to be secure.
0: I got it. You said that. I just didn't understand. I suddenly <laughs> started thinking about myself, you see, as a as a purveyor instead of a user. All right, cool. Very nice stuff, as always. A uh, great way to keep track of this stuff is to uh, listen to the show every week. Of course, we do it at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 1900 UTC. At Twit TV on uh, Thursday or Wednesdays, but if you can't watch live or listen live, uh, by all means subscribe. In fact, you should anyway, so that you have every episode. There's 386 so far. This is our 386 episode. I know.
1: I saw that too. <laughs> I saw a little smile to
0: myself. I, I remember like when I was coding to that chip. I remember the 386. Remember the DX. Yep. Remember the SX? They just disabled the numeric processor. (laughs)
1: And the DX2 that that followed. And, you know, I mean, God, remember we were like living on megahertz. Oh, I thought, oh, man. I can get get nine megahertz.
0: (laughs) What (laughs) was uh, the 386 was how fast? Was uh, It wasn't until we got Pentium that we got like into the double digits, was it? I guess we were in double digits. I remember a Pentium 9. I
1: remember 33 megahertz and then 66. And then
0: 66. And the DX2 was 66. Boy, you have a good memory. That's exactly right, yeah. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yes. (laughs) Sidetracked. We were Uh, trying to wind this down. No, no. I just, you know, start talking about 386s, and, well, you know what happens. Yeah. Uh, You can get uh, copies of this uh, from Steve's site. He has 16 kilobit audio, the smallest we make available. And. Text transcriptions at grc.com. While you're there, you might want to pick up SpinWrite, the world's finest hard drive maintenance or recovery utility. Now, the people in the chat room were asking because we had that SpinWrite letter from a user who was using it in a virtual machine. Yeah. Okay. What, wasn't there an issue maybe that the, maybe you'd get some rights to that disk while you're SpinWriting it or something like no, that? No, no, no. Uh, what happens is,
1: in order for you to give uh, to, you, to you to make direct physical access available, it takes it away from the rest of the system. Got it. So, the re- so the so the so that drive disappears from from outside the virtual machine and is only available inside the virtual machine.
0: Good. So nothing to so, worry yeah. about there. Right. Yeah. I I knew you wouldn't recommend such a use unless it was safe.
1: No, and, and 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 I've heard about this for a while. People have been doing this on various of the virtual platforms, but I just ran across this nicely Assembled explanation. I thought,
0: oh, let's—that's yeah. a perfect thing to share. Good. I think you, th- there were a number of people saying, "Wait a minute! I thought you couldn't do that." Yes, you can. Yeah. Uh, so that's the kind of thing you find out when you go to grc.com. You get spin right. You get the freebies. You get the stuff. You can also follow uh, the Steve on Twitter at sggrc. <laughs> uh, so you keep up with all his links. But then we also have that bit dot slash sggrc. All all lowercase. So people can uh, just com- this was a thank you by the way to our Danish listener who uh, made that available. Yeah, Follow all your links like, and tweets. Yeah, and I guess that's going to be up to date automatically. And uh, then of course we make higher quality audio and video available at twit.tv. But best way to do it is subscribe at iTunes. Do you know? Do you make a podcast feed of the sixteen kilobit version? No, no. So you just download that. People just go there and get it. That's for you primitive types. <laughs> still using, still using three eighty sixes. But for the rest of you, subscribe on iTunes or Zoom or whatever, Dog or Instacast, whatever you use to get podcasts. and You'll get every week. You won't miss a single episode. We will see you back here next Thursday, Steve. Oh, it's a Q&A segment. Yep. GRC.com slash feedback. If anything yep. you've heard on this show has stimulated your thought process.
1: Yes, by all means, send a note. And I will uh, go through the mailbag uh, the day before and probably also the morning before. And, uh, and pull a bunch of
0: goodies. Good. So thanks, everybody. Thank you, Steve. Somebody Thank in you. the chat room, KCov, is saying, does Twit benefit more if we subscribe to any particular source? No, as long as you are download. The only version that we don't count is Steve's 16-kilobit version. But if you're downloading a, ver- a version of the show, we ca- Those we are count being counted, that. Leo. Oh, are- yeah, are that's being- right. We added those to the counts, didn't we? Yep, I'm bouncing through PodTrack. So, so you bless get credit you. for those. Bless you, bless you. Uh, So, yeah, as long as... And you can tell because, yeah, you'll see a pod track redirect. um, But if you subscribe to any of the uh, XML feeds, that will also be counted. Any download or subscription counts. And it's a great way to let us know that you like this show. This show, by the way, one of the few that is growing all the time. Uh, That's neat. More and more nerds. (laughs) I think this show is highly shared among... Uh, Security experts.
1: We are anabolic rather
0: than catabolic. That's what I say. (laughs) Steve, thanks so much. We'll see you next Thursday. Thanks, Leo. Security now.